Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan. First of all, my regular co-host, Luke, is absent again this week, although he will be back with us soon. In the meantime, I'm joined by a member in good standing of film Twitter, as well as the, the co-host of what I think is the internet's only Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau podcast, The Odd Pod, which I've been on twice now. Mm-hmm. It's Valerie Fay. Valerie, mm-hmm. hello. Hello, Will. How's it going today? Not bad. And can I ask, why a Jack Lemon Walter Matthau podcast? <laughs> it's... It's very confusing how it happened. Basically, like, so Trevor used to, we've talked about this before, Trevor used to do a Kevin Smith podcast and- (laughs) Music to my ears. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And basically, like, we just one time we were talking about this Jason Mewes movie. I don't don't remember the name of it, but it's basically this movie where he's like a bartender who has to go out to LA for like a mission or something. One of those types of shit 2000s movies, Paris Hilton's in it also. Oh, I I know what it's called. It's called Bottoms Up. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Yes. And I don't remember how, but uh, somehow like Charade got brought up and Trevor was just like, uh, oh yeah, Walter Matthews really good in that movie. And then later on, I was like, uh, uh, can we talk about Walter Matthau again? I like him in A New Leaf. And basically that started, essentially. And uh, you've been through a lot of a lot of the filmography. You had me on to talk about a movie called Getting Away with Murder, which was we did, yes. uh, a, a miserable film that I, I watched maybe two weeks before my father died uh, as I was uh, essentially waiting for him to die. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, something about it was very appropriate for the mindset that I was in of just being miserable, you know, just wallowing in, mm-hmm. in one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah. But hey, at least we did find out about Harvey Miller for that. Oh my God. Well, you're going to have to listen to that podcast, folks, to learn about the great, the great Harv. Uh, So we have a great movie, a choice movie to talk about this week. But before Mm -hmm. we get to that, uh, Valerie, something that I know that you and I share is a great love for the internet archive. Yes. Archive.org. I mean, it's probably the best thing on the internet. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows it. I don't have to explain what it is. Everyone knows that it's under great persecution all the time. Yeah. Uh, The powers that be are always threatening to just pull the plug. Uh, I know from your social media presence and from talking with you that you've done a real deep dive into a lot of the sort of drag and trans gender themed magazines sort of in the 70s and 80s and 90s could you tell me a little bit about what led you down that rabbit hole so what led me down the rabbit hole is i don't remember who it was but i remember like in like let's say like summer of 2020 or 2021 there was a viral post that just mentioned one of those magazines and i think it was this one called ladylike which was more of like a 90s aughts one and that one it's fine, but it's a lot more like, um, I don't even know how to say it. It's basically like, it feels like after the divide really hit between like like trans people and transsexuals to like just cross-dressers, like as like a hobby or something, it seemed more in that realm. And so then I kind of just like, found others through like just kind of like research and just like because like in a lot of them in a weird way it's almost like punk music where like there'd just be a reference from one to the next and then it'd just be like there's a reference from that one to the next and so it's just like so from there I found Crosstalk which was this Southern California specific one and from there I found the Female Mimics uh, Empire which later became Female Mimics International uh, that was run by um a porn director that you're also familiar with, Kim Christie. Kim Christie, the director of Squalor Motel. Yes, yes. yes. Were there sort of factions within the community? Were there different kinds, different vibes of magazine? I'd say so, because like 
the one that I'm most fascinated honestly by is Crosstalk because it was so localized to Los Angeles in like the early 90s. So basically there was just like, they would talk about like goings on at a bar that happened like three weeks prior and would just like be talking about me like, well, that guy was a bit of a dick to us. And so like <laughs> just talking about a guy, it's like mm-hmm. a message board. <laughs> it really was. It felt like a real community, like a real like in-person community that happened to have like this like record of it almost. Basically the ever thing about was like various people had issues and would just like have like recurring things they would talk about but the problem was because that one was very like low subscriber rate and it's almost like uh i forget the name of it right now but what was the name of that sleazoid express was it the- oh uh bill landis bill, bill landis. landis wrote that great zine sleazoid express about mm-hmm. grindhouse movies in new york yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it felt almost like that almost where it was just like because i remember in your interview with that guy preston it was bill landis's biographer how he said that like because of the like low subscriber rate and they didn't really print beyond the subscriber rate there aren't that many copies for crosstalk specifically there's really not that many copies left mm-hmm. and whereas female mimics international kim christie's one it was very interesting because it kind of went in all different directions that encompassed like a bunch of the other types of magazines like it had like these very personal essays by this writer named Linda Lee, who was very funny and just had like a great uh, sense of humor and just like was almost like an advice column without questions, just like was like really good essays. She had this whole emp- mini empire in, in Oakland where she like had like an album. She had like her own books that she all like said, like pay money to my PO box and I'll send you the stuff. And she actually also went to, she went to CSUN with Terry Gar. Oh, wow. And, yeah. <laughs> my fantasy. <laughs> and when she reviewed like the films of, I think, 82 or 83 at the Oscars, she was like, she mentioned that she mentioned Tootsie by saying like, I wish Terry Garrow would would have like mailed me and said she was in this movie. I would have given her and Dustin some pointers. Uh, you know, uh, Kim Christie, who you mentioned, is a subject of interest to me because mm-hmm. they are they were a gender fluid, um, I don't know how to multi hyphenate, yeah, uh, a writer, editor, magazine mm-hmm. publisher, but also a filmmaker. Made mm-hmm. a lot of uh, made a lot of videos for, I guess, what you would call the specialty market, but also yeah. a, a rare case of somebody who made pornography that was quote unquote mainstream pornography that was marketed and sold to largely cishat audiences, but mm-hmm. that nevertheless had trans people in it and trans yeah. people participating in sex scenes, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, I, I think pretty much the only time that's been done. I think I, I haven't read a lot of Kim Christie's writing. Uh, what's the sense you get of it? What's it like? The sense of her writing, it feels almost like she feels like very much like a mogul in the same way of like a Bob Guccione or a Hefner almost where she just like has like a very like just very like a persona that she puts on or they I'm I'm still not really sure either about like what pronouns to use for them but like they just like had like this whole like persona where they would just like sometimes it'd be very sexual stuff and sometimes it'd be very frank of like how they were like I'm like almost 40 and I don't feel sexy like I used to. So a lot of the old photos that I've been using recently were like old photos, but I just decided to do a photo shoot. So the photos of me here are new ones. Like that was another thing. It's like over time for female movements international specifically, it got like 
more and more and more pornographic as time went on, like from like a subtle, like softcore bent to like just a lot more. And like, there's something interesting about like the letters to the editor that were to her where I really can't tell, but it feels like half of them were real and half of them were like written and scripted. <laughs> like, cause yeah, like I'm sure you notice how like people like Jerry Stahl, like wrote the penthouse letters for years and wrote like a bunch for a uh, hustler and stuff. So it's just like, I'm sure Kim probably found out how to do that. So yeah, hired either you're not getting enough letters, <laughs> mm-hmm. or the letters just aren't good enough. So yeah. you actually have to create them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, whole worlds to discover on archive.org. Yeah, um, and I have uh, no easy way to transition into the movie, so I'm just I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie on this episode is 1953's Glenn or Glenda by mm-hmm. Ed Wood, the so-called worst director of all time. A new life is begun. The body of the woman within begins to appear now. The world is shocked by a person who changed his sex. Thus, the strange case of Glenn, who was Glenda, one and the same person, not half man, half woman, but nevertheless man and woman in the same body. He dares to enter the street dressed in the clothes he so much desires to wear. Glenn is engaged to be married to Barbara. Glenn's problem is a deep one, but he must tell her soon. She's begun to notice things. Soon she will realize. So this was Ed Wood's first feature-length movie. It Mm -hmm. was conceived as an attempt to cash in on the story of Christine Jorgensen, who was the first widely known person in the United States to undergo sex reassignment surgery. It was produced by a company called Screen Classics, who also made Test Tube Babies and Baghdad After Midnight, among other films. So not the most prestigious company. Ed Wood got the job because he had access to Bella Lugosi, the faded horror star, uh, who appears very memorably in the movie. But instead of a mere exploitation movie, Ed Wood made a cryptic autobiography. Uh, to all outward appearances, he was a ruggedly heterosexual war veteran. But in his private life, he was a crossdresser, a fact that uh, he would eventually become very open about, but at the time he hid even from his girlfriend, Dolores Fuller. And he stars in this film as the title character, uh, a man racked with anxiety about revealing his love of wearing women's clothes to his fiance. And he even cast his own actual girlfriend, uh, Dolores Fuller, as the fiance. Uh, In addition, there's a B story in the film about Anne, a transgender Mm -hmm. woman who uh, I'm sure we'll get to that pretty soon. And, uh, you know, this movie is unusual for its time because it's basically a plea for tolerance for sexual diversity, but Mm -hmm. it's very much a product of its time, too. Certainly. Um, uh, I I was interested in talking to you because, you know, you have a letterboxed review of the movie that's very interesting. And frankly, for for decades, most people who wrote about this movie were just cishet men laughing Mm -hmm. at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been there's been a lot more interesting discussion about the movie over the last decade or so. So I'm just interested in when you first saw it and what your what your reaction to it was. So I have to make a confession. When I wrote that review on July 11th, 2020, that was actually the first time I ever saw the movie. And yeah, like I already like had seen like Ed Wood a bunch of times. That was like an all time favorite movie for me. And so like I already kind of got a sense of it going in and already like already was kind of curious about like Ed Wood's like history and just like 
just from being like a Dana Gould fan and him just constantly referencing Ed Wood and whatnot. So like, yeah, Dana Gould, the comedian who was uh, close friends with Vampira yes. <laughs> late in her life. Yeah. yeah, like paid her utility bills at in the last like 10 years she was alive. Yeah, yeah. What was your reaction to it? Because I mean, uh, I know that your reaction was not simply oh, so bad, it's good. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's a very, it's a very thorny object, Mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, I feel like my reaction was one of like, I kind of wanted to go in looking at like how Ed was probably trying to do this and how he was trying to like articulate this and trying to like how like both consciously and unconsciously, like just like from like his gender nonconformity, which is the best word to describe it because like we don't know what he would identify as now like mm-hmm. just from like that whole thing so like I just like I found it so riveting just in like how so many of the things are structured and framed I feel like it's almost like the best like piece of denial that I've ever seen like uh put into print like ever because like for me and probably some other like tra- trans and queer people, there's like l- lots of like lies you can tell yourself to like make you feel like, oh, this isn't me. This isn't me. And I feel like this is that perfectly articulated in the course of like 67 minutes, 70 with like the George Weiss scenes added in. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to those. I mean, I mean, the movie is extraordinary because it's sort of a plea for tolerance, but I, we all, we'll get to the ending, mm-hmm. but yeah. the movie is just constantly contradicting itself. There yeah. are times like you you completely lose confidence when you're watching it. Um, it has these authority characters in it who over time mm-hmm. you lose trust in the authority characters. Yeah. You lose trust in the movie and it's just mm-hmm. this, this kind of soup. I guess we can talk a little bit about uh, the plot. First of all, it has two competing sets of narrators. Yes. Uh, one of them is <laughs> Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm who plays a mystical puppet master who sits in a strange laboratory and makes mm-hmm. cryptic pronouncements, you know, pull the string. Pull the string. Be bear. Be bear. Be bear of the big green dragon that sits on your doorstep. He eats little boys. Bobby duck tails and big fat snails. And then there are two real world narrators. Mm -hmm. So the inciting incident of the plot is that a cross-dresser commits suicide because Mm -hmm. they cannot bear to live in a society that rejects them. And this leads to a cop played by Lyle Talbot to visit a psychologist played by Timothy Farrell to, you know, pick his brains about uh, what's up with this. What's up with men who wear women's clothing. And I had always read the Bella Lugosi stuff as basically just a complete non sequitur. It's like, Mm Ed had Bella Lugosi, who has nothing to do with any of this. How do you fit him in? Well, just kind of graft him on. Um, what's what's your read of him? My read of him is that I feel like he has like this interesting like piece of like the unconscious where he just like is just there. It, it also just goes to where he's edited in in places, especially the scene of him like with Ed and Dolores being romantic and like he just can't stop thinking of like cross-dressing. It cuts to Bella being like, pull the string. And I... It's shocking. The cut is shocking. It is. Yeah. Glenn, is it another woman? 
Thanks, mate. And I can't help but think that's almost like the voice inside your head. It's like, tell them, tell them right now. It's almost like the part of you that wants to get it out there, but doesn't have the full control. And it's just like, I've never really articulated this before, but basically I feel like the best way to describe being closeted is like, there's just like this thing in you that's just like constantly like wanting to get out and it just can't. And like, for whatever reason, you can't let it out. And it just like kind of drives you insane. And that's kind of how I see Bela in this movie. That that definitely makes sense. And I mean, as to the other narrators, I mean, if you wanted to make the case that this is a bad movie, I think mm-hmm. maybe you would start with them because yeah. the dialogue when they first meet is so well, bad, frankly, like, like Lyle Talbot just launches into this. I don't have the words in front of me, but he launches into this soliloquy of like, huh, knowledge? What is knowledge? Aren't we all learning? You know, so, something like that. And they just kind of like circle around to the subject at hand mm-hmm. in this really ponderous way. The psychologist character, like you watch the movie and as it goes along, you kind of feel like this guy's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. You know? like yeah. He, He's weird. When he's talking about Anne, he has this weird thing of like, well, she could decide if she wanted to be a man or a woman, but with her, with her, uh, with her hips and her thighs <laughs> you know, and, her, and her, her supple face, you know, it was clearly, you know, like he's, he's really creepy. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of these characters? I feel like they're almost like the perfect, just idiots that are just showing like them as like the oppressive forces they've been for decades, if not centuries for trans people. Lyle Tao is basically like, oh, what's going up in the fella's head? What What is making him put on that skirt and not a, a pair of pants? <laughs> <laughs> so after they first meet, there's this amazing section of the movie where the movie basically just becomes unambiguously pro-cross-dressing. Yes. Uh, You hear Timothy Farrell as the psychologist narrating this section where it's basically comes down to he's saying, um, well, look at men's clothing. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, You got they have hats that cut off the blood flow (laughs) circulation to the head that that stop hair growth, which I don't know how scientifically accurate that Mm, is. Yeah. Uh, And like he starts narrating it in this very um, somber, authoritative way, but he gets more and more worked up to the point where he then says like little miss female you should feel pretty good about yourself about having all the finery (laughs) Mm, yeah female has the fluff and the finery as specified by those who design and sell little miss female you should feel quite proud of the situation you of course realize that it's predominantly men who design your clothes your jewelry your makeup your hairstyling your perfume it does almost read how like either closet or early in transition personally for me, like how I was just kind of like, oh, icky testosterone making me bad or whatever. It's, it feels almost in that sort of way of just like not really understanding it completely and just being like, well, you know, I would rather have a satin, satin rope. That's that seems lovely. Yeah. So from this point on, we spend a lot of time with Glenn, played by Ed Wood under a mm-hmm. pseudonym. Uh, for him, cross-dressing isn't just an affectation. It's presented as a, an addiction or a compulsion. And there's even some sense that there's an underground network of men who are tempted to wear women's clothing, who like yeah. a support network. Like he goes mm-hmm. to visit this old friend whose marriage was broken up by it. And he says, you know, uh, I hadn't had a stitch of them on in weeks, but then 
then one night I just I just had to. I don't know exactly what was going on in Ed Wood's heart, but anybody who talked about him, it, it's funny, so many of the interviews with the people who knew him would always emphasize his heterosexuality. They'd always say like, well, he, he wasn't gay. He liked to wear women's clothing, but he loved, he loved having sex with women, you know, and just a normal guy who would put on women's clothing. And I mean, I, I don't quite know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to square that with some of the things that he wrote in his novels mm-hmm. or the fact that he actually did in real life sort of split himself into two personae. He had a drag name, Shirley, that he went mm. by when he was in drag. So I don't know. What's Thoughts the on- content of like the books? Just out of curiosity, like possibly having like feelings for men or anything like that? You know, I think so, because the ones that I've read, I mean, it's it's complicated. He was obsessed with the gender binary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a lot of books about, you know, there was one called Killer and Drag, one called Let Me Die and Drag. Uh, there was about this, you know, cross-dressing killer who you can sense him getting off on the idea of being mistaken for a woman mm-hmm. um, and kind of getting off on the power of humiliating somebody by having them mistake you for a woman. Mm-hmm. But then there's another book I read, a very pornographic novel that he wrote Mm -hmm. called The Only House in Town that has this very upsetting and very graphic sexual assault sequence with a transgender sex worker. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's about as bad as you can imagine it. And I mean, you know, it's also, I think, supposed to be erotic in some way. And so Mm -hmm. clearly there was something in him that uh, was unsettled and uh, w- was drawn to this subject matter. But but he obviously found it a very um, anxiety-inducing space and a space of power and dominance. Yeah. Know? So the midsection of the movie, it kind of becomes an experimental film. It does. It has these dream sequences that are genuinely surreal. Like the scenes of like everyone crouching around Glenda. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that one, like I found very interesting, like almost it's like all the like fears of like coming out to like your social circle and like your family and friends and just like how like horrible and the rejection was and like especially that narration with the little girl that I think was probably the sister character appearing again. Mm-hmm. It was probably like just being like, you're in a boy. The thing that I found most interesting in that whole sequence was that sequence with Dorothy and Glenn where she was underneath the tree and when Glenda was in drag, couldn't pick up the tree, but when she was Glenn again, she could pick up the tree. And it's very fascinating, like conformity this very mm-hmm. fascinating conformity where glenn and ed really felt like well i have to put on the suit again to like maintain the role and uh, make make dolores happy that's what i need to do you know the glenn story it seems to end on this very triumphant note of he confesses mm-hmm. his desires and his his fetishes to her and she's very troubled by it but she accepts him and there's that mm-hmm triumphant scene where she hands over the angora sweater to him so that that seems like the end of it but then he comes back later in the movie Mm -hmm. and i saw this movie with an audience a couple years ago and the air gets sucked out of the room at the end of the movie (laughs) where basically he meets with the psychiatrist again and the psychiatrist finds a way to cure him of his cross-dressing i mean i don't know a great deal about the history of the narratives represented in this movie i mean the narratives in this movie of what the cause of cross-dressing were 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I think Glenn in this movie, it's suggested that, oh, he had a, a father who didn't love him and mm-hmm. uh, a mother who wanted a girl. Like how prevalent have you found those narratives? Those narratives appear a lot in like a lot of things I've read. And like, I feel like for so long, it feels like there was like this interesting like justification and almost like it's just like, well, if you had this, it's not real. It's just like, this phase that you're going to go through and that's it and honestly like the the splitting of like the uh glenn and Anne stories also was a bit of something i've seen so much and something that i alluded to earlier with lady like magazine and stuff where it's just like there was a split between like transsexuals and bisexuality wasn't really covered back then yet so it's basically like everyone everyone assumed that like transsexuals were just into men and that anyone who was um it's so confusing that transvestites would always say like hetero. There were like these whole like support organizations specifically for like heterosexual transvestites. And it's just like this very fascinating thing. There was lots of splintering and who knows, maybe some of them were just transvestites. Maybe that was just it for some of them. But part of me can't help but wonder for so many of them, whether it's the magazines or with this, it's so much to do with there wasn't the world for it yet there wasn't like the acceptance for it on the grand scale yet where people could just be who they wanted to be or even figure out who they wanted to be because they didn't have the language yet to even know what non-binary was yeah and i mean when one reads some of ed wood's novels one gets the sense i mean that maybe if he'd been in a different world he might have identified in a different way you mentioned the Anne story. Uh, why don't we talk about that? Because yeah. that's, the, that's the story that is directly inspired by Christine Jorgensen. Mm-hmm. And it is both kind of the most progressive segment of the movie, I think, but also like, su- again, such a product of its time. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the movie the movie engages in a uh, horrendous amount of dead naming, but uh, mm, yeah. you know, the, the, the former Anne, mm-hmm. uh, a, a boy who uh, didn't fit in with the other boys and didn't mm-hmm. like sports and had a father who hated him and Mm -hmm. uh, a mother who wanted a girl and then only felt himself when he was in drag. Sorry, please Mm -hmm. uh, pardon the the pronouns. I'm quoting the movie. Mm -hmm. And then after discovering that they are a pseudo hermaphrodite Mm -hmm. decides to lean into the female side. Yeah. Uh, And the ending of this segment is so incredible because the Timothy Farrell psychologist character basically positions it as it's great. She's discovered her true self, but now that you're a woman, you've got to be a woman, you know, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta get your Look hair like nice. a lady. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta walk, you gotta talk, you gotta shop at the right places. It is amazing how like the quiet conformity of the fifties too, with like transsexuals were like, I don't know if you knew this, but like, basically like for a long time, transsexuals who like had a surgery were basically like left on their own and were basically told don't fraternize with other like transsexuals, basically, because the whole thing was like, well, you don't, you want to be a regular woman, right? You want to be like, like everyone else. So it was just basically this whole thing of just like quiet conformity, try to get in as, as well as you can into like the 50s dream it kind of felt very much in that line and i feel like it's the ant segment is very interesting to me because in one part i feel like it kind of does the flawed thing of just like going by the narrative of like well if if you didn't know this when you were five years old you can't be a woman (laughs) right (laughs) but it's fascinating that people could like learn from this movie like oh, you can have like plastic surgery, like feminization surgery to make your face look more feminine. And like you can get on like hormones and stuff. So I feel like, I feel like this movie 
must to have done good for like just like some person that was in like into like grindhouse movies and just like through this movie like realize oh I, I should do that i mean this movie probably would have been like aside from newspaper articles about christine jorgensen it's like this this would have been the limits of trans mm-hmm. representation yeah in, in any in any art or culture mm-hmm. so you know the movie ends again on this note of glenn uh, having confessed his desires goes to the psychologist character and the psychologist character suggests that Glenn, the Glenda persona is this place where Glenn has deferred all of the needing of, of feminine love from his mother. Mm-hmm. And essentially over time, he is able to transfer that onto his fiance, Dolores Fuller. And she becomes, she becomes Glenda and he doesn't need Glenda anymore. And Ed Wood obviously didn't live his life that way. In real life, he continued cross-dressing uh, to his dying day. And it's such a shame that, I mean, there were some interviews with him that were done in his life, uh, mm-hmm. mostly just about, you know, what was it like to work with Bella Lugosi? Yeah. Um, and it's a shame that nobody asked him, you know, to what extent was this an ending that was imposed on you? Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent was this something that you felt you had to do in the 50s? And to what extent was this something you actually believed? I don't know. Uh, I really love the sequence with the stock footage of like the factory under it, of like the two like factory workers talking. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. So like the movie is full of stock footage, um, amply <laughs> padded mm-hmm. with stock footage. And there's this incredible scene where you just see like a steel mill uh, and, mm-hmm. and hot lava and you know people working on the assembly line and, and you hear the voices of these guys uh, debating uh, whether or not it's okay to to have a sex change now here is a guy who wanted to be a girl supposing there had been no way to change his sex you sound as if you're really head up on this thing i guess i am do you realize what would happen if every man in the country that wanted to wear women's clothes or felt like a woman went to their doctors and wanted a sex change of course that's why i say perhaps society should be a little bit more lenient with it it ends i don't know which version you saw but it's been censored in various times there's one version you know there's one guy who's pro there's one guy who's Mm -hmm. anti but there there are some versions where it ends with the pro guy speaking in a woman's voice yeah yeah Yeah. fantastic uh there's also there are also various parts in the movie where you know early on when the psychologist is extolling the virtues of Mm cross-dressing uh he says something like well you know your friend the milkman uh gets into you know women's clothes in his off hours Mm -hmm. uh do you think your friend the butcher is doing it he is you know that Mm -hmm. that kind of thing there's the suggestion that it's among us yeah exactly yeah the steam fitters wearing pink panties underneath the like overalls (laughs) i feel like this is like such an interesting like time stamp that i just like i'm so happy that it exists i'm so happy that we could see into edward's mind as much as uh they gave here and it's one of the like best pieces of like trans representation i feel because it is just so thorny and because it kind of lets all of it out all of the like denial stuff that i mentioned all the like enjoyment it just like gives the most articulated version of like closeted mind almost and i i'm happy to exist for that reason before we go you did just move to toronto recently Mm -hmm. toronto is a character on this podcast Mm -hmm. 
Uh, how have you found the city so far? What have you done in the city? Have you seen any sites? So far, haven't seen any sites, unfortunately. I have been to A&W recently. And I oh, nice. I enjoy that. Oh, fantastic. What'd you order at A&W? I got the spicy habanero chicken sandwich. And I got <laughs> to go root beer. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, I'll also just say that we have most of the great American chains here though not Jack in the Box and not White Castle. Uh, are you going to visit the CN Tower? Oh, sure. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not that fun, actually. It's very <laughs> <Okay>. overpriced. <laughs> nice. uh, but anyway, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast. Nice. And also check out uh, Valerie's Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon podcast, mm-hmm. where I do not, I don't think they've done uh, a favorite film on our podcast, My Fellow Americans yet. Oh, we have. It's oh, you on have. Patreon, but uh, we, we need to we need to release it again. It, we did it a while back. Okay, you should watch the movie again to see if it <laughs> gains any new depths in the Biden era or I don't know when you recorded it. <laughs> Certainly. So anyway, thanks again. Of course. Uh, and uh, now watch this drive. My mind's in a muddle. Like in a thick fog. I can't make sense to myself sometimes. I thought I could stop wearing these things. I tried, honestly, I tried. I haven't had a stitch of them on for nearly two weeks until tonight. Then I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to put them on or go out of my mind. 